0: chapter fourteen of the romance of modern sieges by edward Gilliat. this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter fourteen the first ironclads eighteen sixty two will they sink or swim captain erickson the swede the merrimack raised and armored the monitor built by private venture merrimack surprised fort monroe the cumberland attacked the silent monster comes on her ram makes an impression morris refuses to strike his flag the cumberland goes down the congress is next for attention on fire and forced to surrender blows up at midnight the minnesota aground shows she can bite general panic was it providence a light at sea only a cheese-box on a raft sunday's fight between two monsters the merrimac finds she is deeply hurt wounded to death the four long hours warden and buchanan both do their best signals for help the fiery end of the whitehall gunboat the war of succession between the federals and confederate states gave rise to a new kind of warship the ironclad the merrimac was converted into such a vessel by the south and the monitor was built by the north or federals in the space of a hundred days most people, experts and others, predicted a watery grave for a ship cased in iron. Very few ventured on board at the launching of the monitor, and even the builders provided a steam tug to save the passengers in case she went to the bottom. But the monitor, after the first graceful dip, sat like a wild duck on a mere, being flat-bottomed, having a turret nine feet high, capable of revolving, with two circular portholes to fire from captain erickson a swede was her architect the south had seized all the forts and dockyards below chesapeake bay and had struck great consternation into the federal hearts when the federals burnt and evacuated the norfolk navy yard they scuttled the steam frigate merrimac but the confederates raised her plated her with railroad iron and fitted her with a slanting roof to serve as a shield the merrimack when finished did not take the water so gracefully as the monitor for her weight was so enormous that she nearly broke her back in launching it was known that both sides were at work upon some monster of the deep but which would be ready first no one could predict however on the eighth of march the merrimack left norfolk accompanied by two other war vessels the jamestown and yorktown and followed by a little fleet of armored tugs she was heading for Newport News, where there was a federal garrison, guarded by the sailing frigates, the Cumberland, and the Congress, which rode at anchor within half a mile of the shore battery. Their boats were hanging at the booms, and the week's washing fluttered in the rigging, as peaceful a scene as could be imagined. But the lookout on Fortress Monroe caught sight of a monster vessel ploughing the waves, and signaled to the warships to get under way the minnesota had her steam up and soon went off towards newport news where the cumberland and congress lay on blockading duty the crew of the cumberland seeing a strange ship come round craney island recognized her as the expected ironclad all hands were beat to quarters and the cumberland swept across the channel in order to bring her broadside to bear the slanting roof of the merrimac puzzled them and the long iron ram churned up the water as she advanced relentlessly and in silence at the distance of a mile the cumberland began to use her pivot guns but the merrimac made no reply only steamed majestically on though broadside after broadside was poured upon her like hail but the heavy shot glanced off harmlessly and ever the merrimac came closer and closer as she passed the Congress, the Merrimack fired one broadside, and then, leaving her to the tender mercies of the Jamestown and the Yorktown, made straight for the Cumberland. Both the Federal ships discharged their broadsides against the armored monster. She just quivered under the blow and came on in silence. The National Battery at Newport News opened upon her at point-blank range, and every man on board the Cumberland drew a breath of relief now they thought our massive guns will teach her a lesson but it seems as if the merrimac had received no damage not a soul could be seen on her decks not a splinter on her sides but she was coming towards them coming madly as it seemed to destruction what did the merrimac mean why did she not fire her guns the crew on the cumberland soon found out when the great ram struck their frigate amidships with a shock that threw every man down on the deck crushed in the ribs and heeled the ship over till her topsail yards almost splashed the water the Merrimack reversed her engines and backed away under a murderous broadside replying as she too turned her broadside with a deadly volley of shot and shell which swept her enemy's decks of guns and men meanwhile the water was pouring into the terrible gaping wound in the side of the cumberland but lieutenant morris who was in command fought her to the last with unflinching courage yet once again the merrimac turned her prow and crushed in close upon the old wound and the great oak ribs snapped like twigs under the weight of iron the Cumberland began to ride lower in the water, but still aimed with calm accuracy at the Merrimack, riddling her smokestack and bending her anchor, but the Merrimack lay off a little and poured a storm of shot into the sinking frigate, dealing death and mutilation. Yet Morris refused to yield, and the whole crew in their desperate plight thought of nothing but saving the honor of the flag one sailor with both his legs shot off hobbled up to his gun on bleeding stumps and pulled the lanyard then fell in a swoon by the gun she is sinking was the cry but they still fought on though the frigate was settling deeper every minute then the water came gurgling into the portholes and choked the guns and drowned the gunners the last gunner was knee-deep in water when he fired the last shot and then the cumberland careened over on her side down she sank amid a whirl of circling waters, a cauldron of wave and air, caught in one and vomiting steam all around and over the dying vessel, and in a moment four hundred men were on the verge of death, some being carried down into the revolving vortex, some being cast up on the outside, some swimming frantically towards the shore, or reaching desperately for fragments of wreck. About one hundred went down with the ship the chaplain went down with the wounded who were below deck it took forty-five minutes for the merrimac to finish off the cumberland and she now turned her ram towards the congress which spread all sail and endeavored to get clear away but at this moment the congress grounded and became helpless the gunboats of the confederates were still firing heavily at her from a respectful distance but as they saw the merrimac approaching they too drew near under her protection. The Merrimack chose her position at about a hundred yards range, despising the guns of the Congress, and raked her fore and aft, dismounting guns and covering her deck with mangled limbs. In three places the Congress burst into flames, and the dry timber crackled and blazed and smoked like a volcano. The men could not stand by the guns for the fervent heat. The wounded were slowly burned alive officers could not bear this sight and hauled down the flag a tug was sent by the confederates to take off the prisoners from the burning wreck but unfortunately some sharpshooters from the shore still kept up a hot fire upon the southern vessels in consequence of this the merrimac fired another broadside into the sinking congress and killed many more of her crew the congress being deserted still burned on till darkness fell and the ruddy glare lit up the moving waters as if they had been a sea of blood at midnight the fire reached her magazine and with a thunder of explosion the congress blew up into a myriad fragments the northern warship minnesota had also grounded so had the frigate st lawrence and the merrimac while it was still light enough to aim a gun steamed towards them to see what little attention she could bestow upon them the merrimac was perhaps a little overconfident in her coat of mail Anyhow, she risked receiving a broadside at very short range from the heavy guns of the Minnesota. A shot seemed to have entered her porthole and damaged her machinery, for she hesitated, put about, and returned to safe anchorage behind Craney Island. Meanwhile, a very natural terror was gnawing at the hearts of the Federal crews and garrison in Hampton Roads. They had listened to the sounds of the conflict and seen the dire results in wonder almost in despair the merrimac they said was invulnerable not a shot could pierce her on sunday morning she would return and destroy the whole federal fleet at her leisure she would shell newport news point and fortress monroe at the entrance of hampton roads set everything on fire and drive the garrisons from their guns nay as the telegraph wires flashed the news to washington it was foreseen with an agony of horror that the Merrimack might ascend the potomac and lay the capital in ashes baltimore philadelphia new york boston were in a state of panic no one knew what might not follow it was a blind horror of a new and unknown danger for the experience of one hour had rendered the shipbuilding of the past a scorn and a laughing-stock wooden frigates might go to the scrap-heap now with the cumberland had gone down morally all the great navies of europe a new order had to be found for ship and battery and steel must take the place of planks of oak such a night of anxiety and alarm the northern states had never experienced it was ten o'clock at night when the lookout in the garrison thought he saw lights out at sea in chesapeake bay he called his mate by and by they made them out to be two small steamers heading for old point comfort an eye-witness from fort monroe thus describes what happened oh what a night that was i can never forget it there was no fear during the long hours danger i find does not bring that but there was a longing for some interposition of god and waiting upon him from whom we felt our help must come in earnest fervent prayer while not neglecting all the means of martial defence fugitives from newport news kept arriving ladies and children had walked the long ten miles from newport news feeling that their presence only embarrassed their brave husbands sailors from the congress and cumberland came one of them with his ship's flag bound about his waist as he had swum with it ashore dusky fugitives came mournfully fleeing from a fate worse than death slavery these entered my cabin hungry and weary the heavens were aflame with the burning Congress, but there were no soldiers among the flying host. The sailors came only to seek another chance at the enemy, since the Cumberland had gone down in deep waters, and the Congress had gone upward, as if a chariot of fire, to convey the manly souls whose bodies had perished in that conflict upward to heaven. The heavy night hung dark, the hills and waters o'er but the night was not half so heavy as our hearts nor so dark as our prospects all at once a speck of light gleamed on the distant wave it moved it came nearer and nearer and at ten o'clock at night the monitor appeared when the tale of bricks is doubled moses comes i never more firmly believed in special providence than at that hour even sceptics for the moment were converted and said God has sent her but how insignificant she looked she was but a speck on the dark blue sea at night almost a laughable object by day the enemy call her a cheese-box on a raft and the comparison is a good one could she meet the merrimac the morrow must determine for under god the monitor is our only hope now lieutenant warden the commander of the monitor on arriving at fort monroe was instructed to lie alongside the minnesota to guard her in case of a night attack at eleven o'clock she set out and her arrival was hailed with delight by the men on board the frigate though some shook their heads at the strange unshapely toy which a private individual had constructed to save the federal fleet but few slept that night the odds against the monitor seemed too great she mounted but two guns while the merrimac carried ten sunday morning broke sunny and beautiful and the sea was peaceful and calm near sewell's point opposite hampton roads three vessels were at anchor one of them the merrimac about nine o'clock glasses showed a stir amongst them and instantly the monitor awoke to life and action closing her iron hatches and putting on the dead-light covers the monitor like a great griddle cake only stood two feet out of the water her smooth surface was broken only by the turret and the pilot-house then they saw the merrimac coming looking like a submerged house with roof only out of the water after her came the jamestown and yorktown and a fleet of tugboats crowded with ladies and gentlemen from norfolk eager to see the fun the merrimac entirely unconscious of the new enemy she had to encounter steamed slowly along and fired upon the minnesota which was still aground the minnesota replied with a broadside and the usual result but the monitor steamed out from behind and boldly advanced to meet her antagonist and while at a distance of half a mile lieutenant warden from the pilot-house gave the order to fire the ball weighing a hundred and seventy pounds rattled against the mailed side of the merrimac she staggered under the force of the concussion and at once seemed to realize that in this floating turret she had no mean antagonist at the range of only a few yards she poured in a terrible broadside to her disgust the shots seemed to have glided off and done no harm then the two vessels closed and poured a hail of heavy metal upon each other the monitor being the quicker would circle round the merrimac while the turret turning with ease always presented the guns to the foe warden in his pilot house could speak through the tubes to lieutenant green who commanded the gunners in the tower once green trained his guns on the Merrimack's water line and the shop penetrated splendid sir splendid roared warden you have made the iron fly but the spectators who lined the ramparts of fort monroe could not see what was happening for the clouds of smoke and they stood silent and wretched almost afraid to look but at last the veil parted and they saw the little monitor lying alongside the merrimac trim and spiteful with the stars and stripes flying f- proudly from her stern and a great cheer arose from every throat then they saw the merrimac bear down upon the little flat cheese as if to sink her she struck fair and square but the iron ram glided up on her low sheathed deck and simply careened her over but in so doing the merrimac showed her unarmed hull below the iron coat of mail and the monitor planted one of her shots in a vital place four long hours had this strange duel lasted the merrimac firing heavily the monitor steaming round and choosing her place and time with careful aim at rudder screw and water-line at last buchanan the commander of the merrimac was severely wounded and as his ship began to take in water through three gaping wounds the helm was put over and the conqueror of yesterday limped away but her last shot struck point-blank upon the iron grating of the pilot-house just where lieutenant warden was looking out the concussion threw him down senseless and minute pieces of iron and powder were driven into his eyes so that he was blinded when after a time he recovered his consciousness he asked have i saved the minnesota yes sir and whipped the merrimac was the reply then i care not what becomes of me murmured the lieutenant the merrimac slowly made her way to a safe anchorage under the batteries at sewell's point here she signalled for help and tugs came up took her in tow and escorted her to norfolk her injuries were so severe that after months of work upon her she never ventured to quit her retreat whereas the monitors seemed but slightly damaged. She had been hit twenty-two times and only showed slight indentations, but a ball striking full on the pilot-house had bent a huge iron beam. The ram of the Merrimack had torn off some of the plating from the side of the monitor. The latter drew only ten feet of water and could go where the Merrimack could not venture. But though the Merrimack had fired her last shot, she gave the north a great fright in the night which followed the battle at midnight thousands of people along the coast were roused from their sleep by cries that came over the water fire fire for god's sake save us the shore was soon lined by spectators who stood unable to get a boat to put out or help in any way there was the gunboat Whitehall, roaring with flames, and the dark figures of the crew were plainly visible on her deck, either wrapped in red fire or jumping into the deep water beneath. The Whitehall's shotted guns were going off here and there through the thick crowds or clustering houses, and one shell struck the hospital, making the inmates believe that the Merrimack had returned, it transpired that a red-hot shot had been thrown from the Merrimack during the day and had lodged between the whitehall's timbers where the fire smouldered until late at night the general conclusion from this momentous fight between the two ironclads was that england's naval supremacy is gone forever but men are more potent than masses of metal america and england have navies now in comparison with which the merrimac and monitor are but ten kettles yet we must remember that russia too a few months ago possessed a strong navy as far as metal goes but once again the japanese prove to the world that it is in the hearts of brave men the science of clever men and the enduring patience of patriotic men that the issues of victory or defeat are mainly determined. End of chapter fourteen.